Danny Ratliff will be joining me this morning. Got to be talking a little bit about the economy, some recession indicators, et cetera, this morning. Interesting one is from Charles Schwab, actually, coming out uh, yesterday talking about the cardboard box recession, right? Thought this was an interesting one. Why, why, why are you smiling, Brent? I mean, you're thinking you're going to have to get a box put together here? I, I love the sound of it. <laughs> cardboard boxes. Yeah. As is where everybody's just living out of a cardboard box. So, you know. It's the corrugated recession. Correct. That's exactly it. Actually, what it uh, talks about is that during, you know, one kind of one of the signs of a recession is typically a drop in the number of cardboard boxes that are being used for shipping, right? Kind of makes mm-hmm. sense, right? Yeah. People are ordering less stuff. So there's less cardboard boxes being used. Um, And so one of the things that we're seeing right now is a pretty sharp drop in cardboard boxes. And this is gonna be kind of an interesting tale. Um, Of course, you know, by the end of this year or early next year, you'll start to potentially see a recovery. But, you know, this is is one of those signs of just slower economic activity. So as interest rates continue to go up, we've been talking about this for a while, that's gonna impact consumers. The one reason it hasn't showed up sooner, right? And this has been one of the conundrums, you know, since you remember last year, we were talking about on the show that Everybody was talking about a recession. There was recession, recession, recession. Everywhere you looked was, you know, recessions coming, inverted yield curves, et cetera. But it hadn't happened yet. And one of the reasons was, was because of all this excess liquidity that was in the markets. Even through December of 2022, just, just a few months ago, there was still a lot of excess government programs still intact. You know, additional unemployment benefits and paid leave and child support and all these type of things that were all in the economy that had been boosted for the pandemic to help people out. Also, the moratorium on mortgages last year, uh, mortgage payments, rent payments, uh, moratoriums on student loan payments, that's now about to restart as well. So a lot of the support that was there, it allowed people to continue to spend and consume, which kept the economy out of recession during that period, even though all the economic data was saying is like, we should be having a recession, but yet the economy just kind of kept grinding along. Unemployment remains low right now. That's been one of the kind of the more, uh, you know, kind of the conundrums of this environment is that we see a lot of weakness in manufacturing, et cetera, but we don't see it really in unemployment yet, right? Unemployment still remains low. Employment numbers continue to remain strong, like that last report we had last Friday uh, coming in very hot. Um, you know, so that's been one of the kind of the conundrums. It doesn't mean all this doesn't eventually work itself out, but again, we are starting, we, we continue to see kind of underneath the surface some of these recessionary indicators that, you know, certainly are cause for a bit of concern because that should lead, now, and here's the connection to, you know, the markets and why it matters, is that if people are spending less money on things that, you know, require cardboard box, right? So think about it, that's TVs, refrigerators, um, Amazon packages, <laughs> etc. All the stuff that you get every day um, in terms of a, of a cardboard box is, is impactful talking about less consumer spending. Well, if spending slows down, what companies are most affected by that? Well, the companies have been driving the market. We've been, you know, we talked about this yesterday in, in the blog report that's on the website, talking about the narrow breadth of the markets, you know, just a handful of stocks really in the S&P, less than 25% of the stocks in the S&P are actually outperforming this year. A big chunk of them actually underperforming uh, this year relative to the markets. A lot of those have negative returns for the year versus versus uh, uh, less than 50% that have positive returns. So, you know, 
the, the breadth of the market remains very narrow. And you know, what happens is you have slower consumer spending that's really gonna impact stocks where, right? Not the, not the big mega cap companies, they're gonna do okay. But it's gonna be those small to mid cap companies that struggle the most because they have the least flexibility in the economy. If you're a small or a mid-sized company, that your, your ability to raise a lot of capital, to do share buybacks, to do things to boost your share prices, et cetera, isn't really available to you. Access to credit is a bit tougher than it is if, you know, Apple has no problem getting credit because they have 170 billion in cash, you know, sitting on the sidelines. Small cap companies don't have that availability. So interest rates matter. Uh, changes to your consumptive patterns. If you're a smaller company, then that means the changes to consumption by your customers have a much larger impact on your business than say a company like Apple, right? So this is important. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because yesterday and the day before, we actually saw a fairly nice turn in small cap stocks. All of a sudden, small caps have come to life. And this has been kind of one of the very interesting markets this year is that all this year, you know, small cap and mid cap companies have really not done very much at all. While the rest of the market was running up 10% this year, small cap and mid cap stocks have not done anything this year. But just yesterday, and really over the last, really since Monday, um, we've seen this, this pop all of a sudden, and it's mostly short covering right now, but we did see a, a turn to where small caps and mid caps were actually outperforming the S&P 500. Now we've talked about this rotation coming to the markets over the last several weeks. We've been saying, hey, look, you know, it's a very bifurcated market. You're gonna get a rotation at some point. Well, that, was, that started to occur here over the last couple of days. Now, before you get real excited here, A, this is short covering to a, to a large degree. But importantly, small caps, mid caps, those uh, IWM, the Russell 2000 index, those are now well above three standard deviations above the moving average. That won't stay that way for very long. In fact, if we look back uh, on a longer term basis at, you know, small cap, mid cap stocks now, um, you know, particularly look at the IWM, which is the, the ETF for the Russell 2000 index. That's all small cap and mid cap stocks. Whenever this index have, has gotten above three standard deviations, which it does this from time to time, um, you get a correction in the markets. It does not tend to last long to have this big of a move in small cap stocks. So again, we've had this nice little pop over the last couple of days, but this is likely not the beginning of this big broad-based uh, broad recovery of small and mid-cap stocks relative to large caps because we don't have the economic strength to support that currently. Now that may eventually change, but right now we don't have that economic strength to support a continued surge or an outperformance of small and mid cap companies. Because again, as we said, they are the ones most affected by a slowdown in economic activity. So again, it's interesting to watch here. We're starting to see this kind of rotation. And, and again, not surprising. We've talked about this over the last couple of weeks in the newsletter is that you know, we'll see this rotation temporarily from the leaders to the laggards, just basically the market saying, hey, look, there's some opportunity over there for a rally. Let's go grab it. This little rally could go a bit further. So again, don't discount it entirely. This, uh, a rally in small and mid cap stocks, a rotation could last a couple of weeks to a couple of months, but uh, unlikely it's going to be a continued charge higher and, and a continued outperformance of the SP. This is very likely, again, a short covering rotation. So if you've been in a lot of small cap, mid cap stocks you know, this year, 
and have been underperforming. This is going to be an opportunity to rebalance your portfolio, maybe reduce that exposure to areas of the market that will underperform relative to economic growth versus areas of the markets that will perform better in an economic disinflationary environment. Again, that's why cyclical stocks have been outperforming this year is because of that view on the economy, that, that, that decline in inflation. So again, just something to pay attention to. It's going to grab a lot of headlines here over the last couple of days. Uh, you'll probably hear a lot more about it over the weekend, of course, if this continues. But again, this kind of outperformance uh, in, in small cap and mid cap stocks, again, not surprising at all, um, but also something that, you know, won't, probably won't last long. Same thing for emerging market stocks. We're seeing exactly that kind of same outperformance here over the last couple of days. That too likely uh, won't last for very long. It's not as extended, but emerging markets very sensitive to an economic slowdown because they're all exporters. So they export commodities, goods and services. In an economic slowdown, they're gonna have less demand. So again, not surprising, they've also been lagging. Again, short covering there as well. Just be a little bit cautious here. Be careful of uh, kind of headline stories. Uh, pay attention to the economic data, it's much more important. Okay, quick break, we'll come back, pick up with Danny Ratliff. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. that candy coffee whatever am i gonna do don't you worry little darling we'll watch it again on our youtube channel why red i never the real investment show youtube channel has all of our past presentations from candied coffee and lunch and learn to special topic discussions and all of our live show recordings preserved for you subscribe now to the real investment show youtube channel or look for the link on our website at realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show and welcome back to the show this morning danny ratliff joining me as well so <laughs> talking a little bit about you know the cardboard box recession and you know this has been one of the you know kind of the conundrums of the market as i said earlier is that you know ever since last year it's been recession watch um you know if you take a look at the bloomberg consensus expectation right now they have about a 65 percent expectation of a recession over the next 12 months well they've had that for about 12 months now <laughs> so you know we we keep expecting the recession to come but it never shows up um at least not yet and again that's the the big question but we keep seeing these kind of anecdotal indicators that have previously aligned you know, where the recessions, we have inverted yield curves, leading economic indexes, you know, manufacturing data, et cetera. Now, one thing that I've talked about here recently uh, and, and uh, actually wrote a report on this last week is the breakdown of the economy between services and manufacturing. And so we have about 77 percent of the economy that services, about 23 percent is manufacturing. Services are not yet in contraction territory, but they are very close. We're at like 50.4 right now. And so below 50 is contraction, and we're barely hanging on right now above in expansion territory, but still in expansion, which is one of the reasons why we're most likely not in a recession yet. But kind of this the big question comes is, is does that happen? And, and so, you know, this is, you know, these are the things that we continue to watch for. Um, and why? Why do we care? Right. The only reason we care about a recession is, and, and uh, well, look, 
we care about a recession because people lose their jobs and we don't like that, obviously. But from an investing standpoint, a recession means slower earnings. And right now, earnings estimates are being ratcheted up through 2024. Markets have been rallying on expectation for higher earnings going into 2024. So if we have a recession, then earnings are going to have to decline because that's what a recession is. Right? It's less activity in the economy, which means less earnings for companies. And, and so that's why we care about it from an investment standpoint. But that's one of the big, you know, kind of the big questions and concerns. Also, you know, talks, you know, a recession is falling inflation. It's falling interest rates. It's, you know, kind of just to slow down in general overall, you know, economic activity, which affects a whole broad range of things um, from consumer spending to housing to, you know, you name it. So recessions are, are, are important. But just one thing is they're not bad. Right. You know, we have this view that recessions are this terrible thing and like we need to avoid them at all costs. And this is this is one of the problems we have in Washington right now is this idea that we need to avoid a recession at all costs. No, we need to have recessions because they cleanse the economy. They, they cleanse the system. Right. They reduce debt levels. They, they kind of get the system back in balance. You know, this is one thing about California wildfires, you know, California has had a, a surge in a lot of wildfires since they stopped doing the maintenance and, and, and forestry that they used to do in California, cleaning out all the dead brush, et cetera. And since then, their number of wildfires and size and intensity have increased. Well, you know, what fires do is, and again, we say forest fires are terrible. We shouldn't have them. Well, they actually do good for the forest because they get rid of all the dead brush, et cetera, and they allow new growth. So recessions are very much like that, as that they provide the ability to kind of reset a bit. And, and us trying to avoid these recessions over time have continued to make things worse. You know, higher debt levels. We have an inability to, to grow the economy faster. Just it's been a lot of, of side effects that, yes, we've avoided recessions. We've extended the duration between recessions, but it hasn't been really a favorable outcome for overall economic growth. Anyway, I digress for a moment. Um, talking about a recession. The, the issue is whether or not we're going to have a recession in the next you know, six months, 12 months. Nobody knows for sure. But there's certainly some indicators out there that suggest that is still a real possibility. In fact, that is a subject that we're touching on in a report, I believe, on Friday on our website. So you know, we're, we're kind of going through some of those economic indicators, and we'll have those out on Friday. But this is the thing to kind of pay attention to. You know, Danny, um, you know, this is, you know, kind of one of the interesting things because it's okay to say a recession is about to hit the U.S., but it's, is, is it okay to actually predict one? Well, I think that's the, that's the conundrum that many people are facing right now is this is a bigger issue. And, you know, you're hearing both sides of the coin quite frequently. And there's so much information out there where everybody's an expert. Where do you and who do you believe? Right. The, the Philadelphia Fed has a survey of economists, and they – you know, they're, they're on both sides of the coin as far as what happens if we are in an actual recession. But, you know, unfortunately, if you, if you don't say, you know, everybody has to be on one side. Mm -hmm. And because if not, if you say, I don't know, then what does that tell you about, you know, your, your economic prowess, so to speak? Yeah, I don't it, know. I'll just tell you right now, I don't know. Well, nobody knows, yeah. right? <laughs> but everybody has to make some type of prediction. And so I think that's where the most, it's very difficult to, decipher and really go through the information and understand, you know, okay, you need to look at both sides, I think. 
say, well, if this occurs, how does this impact me? What do I need to do from a uh, not just a portfolio perspective, but a planning perspective? How do you plan for it? What do you do to prepare? You know, we've talked about a financial vulnerability cushion for a long time. Granted, didn't know we were going to need it because of the pandemic. Um, <laughs> but that may be something that people want to begin to address again if they have not already, if you believe we're going into a recession. I think you should probably have one anyways. Um, but if we're moving out of this, this is a slow, you know, the best way I can describe this is this is a very slow moving train. And all these things that even we have thought were going to materialize have taken a lot longer to occur. Now, granted, the Fed has had to switch gears quite a bit. You know, they went from, oh, it's very transitory. And granted, everything is always transitory. It's always moving. And to where they've had to hike very aggressively over, what, a 14-month time frame? Mm -hmm. This has been the most aggressive campaign in, what, 40 years? That is, um, you know, changed quite a bit. But you noticed something a while back, you and I were talking about this when it comes to, to markets and recessions, was that historically when the Fed is hiking and raising interest rates, they're doing so into a, a pretty strong economy, organic right. growth, right. which now we've seen that this growth that we had was, you know, it was stimulus driven. Coming out of the pandemic, supply chain disruptions, I mean, we, the list goes on and on, right? It was a perfect storm in many senses. But now they had they were hiking, and the market actually dropped right. significantly. Last year was a bad year. No place to hide except for cash. And usually they, that market drops once they stop hiking, and then we see a downturn. So mm -hmm. do we get into an actual recession? Maybe the market doesn't react like it historically has because of the pandemic changes. Now, granted, we've talked about Stocks are still expensive. You just mentioned market breadth is extremely narrow. I mean, it, this is why I think this is so difficult for many to uh, to really get. And what's the overall impact to portfolios and to retirements? I mean, I'm hearing more and more from people like, hey, this sucks. It's not fun, right? And it's not. This is a challenging market. It is. Well, no, and that's what I was saying. It's like, you know, if you've been in small cap, mid caps this year, you've had basically no return. Yeah. Um, you know, if you've been in the S&P, you've had an OK return. But if you've been in equal weight, you've had no return. Um, and so it really depends on, you know, how you've been invested and whether or not you've had exposure to those top 10 stocks or not that have been driving the overall market. So it makes it very challenging. If you've had if you're running a diversified portfolio, returns are terrible. Right. It's just and I say returns are terrible. It's just, you know, markets up 10 percent. You're up two or three. Right. Because you're running a diversified portfolio. And that's. And, and unfortunately, that's, you know, this is this is the problem. You know, Danny, every year we get these Spivey reports that come out and they talk about, well, last year, 80 percent of mutual funds underperformed their index. So you should just buy an ETF. Well, when you have a year like this, where basically you have a very narrow market breadth driving the markets, yeah, we're going to see 90 percent of fund managers underperform, 100 percent underperform because of that very narrow breadth because they own more than just those 10 stocks. And that's going to be, but, but that's a very deceptive analysis because if, again, you go back and look at great funds over time, there's, there's some mutual funds, uh, Sequoia fund, uh, Fidelity, Magellan, others, uh, you know, you go back in history, if you had invested in those funds, you know, 20 years ago, you've not only beat the index, you've crushed the index by, by magnitudes of performance over time. I do this analysis every now and then in, in, in our newsletter. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a function of understanding market dynamics and time and, 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 and investing in the appropriate areas and just understanding that we go through these cycles where you get periods of this relative underperformance because of things that are happening 
in the short term in the markets. You know, for instance, you know, interest rates are going up because of all this stimulus that we put in the market. Well, that will reverse eventually as inflation comes down. And, and you know, one of the opportunities we've been talking about, it's like one of the best opportunities, and we've been talking about this since last year, is is in long duration bonds. And eventually when inflation and interest rates start to fall because of this return to normality in the economy, this is going to be one of those areas of the market that is going to outperform to a very large degree over other assets because of how other assets are, are performing relative to much slower economic growth and the impact on earnings, et cetera. But this is, this is, one, of those, this is one of those moments, though, where it's, it's very difficult to go, I'm going to buy this because it's not working <laughs> versus, you know, chasing the things that are working in the markets. You know, we all get swept up into this kind of short-term kind of FOMO, this fear of missing out. But we have to understand that if we have a recession, again, and, and, and Danny's right, I don't know, Danny doesn't know, we, nobody really knows for sure what's going to happen. We have a lot of indicators saying a recession's coming that have never been wrong. Since like 1940, they've never been wrong about predicting a recession, and they're all predicting a recession right now, but we haven't had one. So is this time different? That's the big challenge. And because of what happened in the pandemic and because stocks fell during the pandemic while the Fed was hiking rates, this time could be different. Anyway, we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about bonds, talk about recession a little bit more, the markets, investing, all coming up right after the break with Danny Rutliff. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com and welcome back to the show this morning so look just talking a little bit about recession there are certainly some recession indicators out there right now to be concerned about and you know, again, from an investing standpoint, uh, uh, so let me back up real quick. Look, recessions aren't a bad thing other than if you lose your job, right? That's that's the bad thing about a recession is, in, <laughs> as the old saying goes, what's the difference between a recession and a depression? A recession is when your neighbor loses their job. A depression is when you lose yours. You know, so recessions are bad from that standpoint. But as I was saying, you know, from an investing standpoint, and from an economic standpoint, recessions aren't bad. They give you an opportunity. It resets the system a bit. And again, we, you know, we, we have this fear, right, of a recession being another financial crisis like 2008 where, you know, just everything just goes to hell in a handbasket kind of all at once. That's not going to be the case this time. We don't have that same type of structure within the system currently. And we've already worked through a 20% decline already. So some of the sting of whatever decline there's going to be from a recession has already been kind of worked through in the market. So, you know, the recession is going to be more of an economic downturn than it is going to be this massive market devastating crash. That's, that's likely not going to occur because we've already worked through part of that process. But two, a lot of the Risk in the system has either been identified or we've already worked through it, right? And you go back to the financial crisis and you go like, well, if we have another bank crisis like Lehman, well, we kind of had it, right? Silicon Valley Bank. 
and we're and we're working through that. And the Fed stepped in, provided a system for the bailout of the bank. So we've eliminated some of that risk, right? Well, what about another housing crash? Well, we kind of already had that, right? So we kind of kind of kind of worked through the mortgage issue. We don't have a bunch of subprime mortgages this time. So we could have an economic slowdown and AKA a recession that leads to higher unemployment, lower stock prices, but not dramatically lower, maybe 10, 15% lower from here. Wouldn't be, a, wouldn't be a big deal, right? We retest the lows from October, good buying opportunity. So it's important to keep things in perspective of, you know, of reality versus expectation of the end of the world, doom and gloom. Right. Because that's where you, you start to make mistakes. OK, but having said all that, here's the latest crisis du jour. I've been getting a ton of emails on this over the last couple of days. Treasuries one trillion. I'm going to read. Uh, this is an article from The Wall Street Journal this morning. Treasuries one trillion dollar debt deluge threatens market calm. Sounds terrible. So we passed the debt ceiling. The Treasury now has to issue a bunch of short term bills in order to refund the Treasury general account. So the assumption is now all of a sudden this big debt swamp comes to market and everybody shows up and, and nobody wants to buy the bonds. And so interest rates spike to you know, 15%, whatever. And it's this big, you know, this big market culminating event. It's going to be a nothing burger, ladies and gentlemen. This is not going to be a big deal. We've already done $140 billion. We had an auction last week of $140 billion of short-term bills. The market didn't even blink. Bought them up immediately. Why? Because money market funds are desperate for bills. Every, what, what's everybody doing with cash right now? They're sticking it into money markets. Why? Because I'm scared of the market and I can get 5% in the money market. So, boom, they're throwing money into money markets. What do money markets have to do? They've got cash. They can't sit on cash. Cash yields nothing. In reality, cash has zero return. I've got to take that cash and do something with it in order to give you interest on your money market, right? So I have to buy bills with it. Or I do reverse repo, whatever it is. But I've got to do something with that cash that you give me in order to give you the 5% return. Cash just doesn't magically generate 5%. It has to be invested. Well, and they're always having something that's maturing. So as it matures, they have to buy new they debt. Buy, buy new debt. And so as the Treasury comes to market, there's a lot of demand for those bills. So now, will that mean that interest rates won't tick up a little bit? Yes, they, they might tick up a little bit, right? We might go on the 10-year Treasury from 3.7 to 3.75, something like that. But it's not going to be this massive deluge of debt that causes this massive market disruption. It's great for headlines, great for fear trade, doesn't, isn't going to really be the problem. Again, the market is well aware of this. The market is well aware of what's going to happen. Interest rates have been rising over the last month or so in anticipation of what was going to happen. So the fact that now it's here, it's a buy the rumor, sell the news event. So again, but this is the problem with fear. In fact, Susie Orman and made a comment that she says, people are scared. This is her quote, not mine. People are scared. I've never seen them so scared as they are right now. Even in 2008 and 2009, many ask, can we take money out of our 401k plans? Is it not safe there now? But, but that's, see, this is the problem. A lot of that is media headline nonsense, right? And look, a lot of it also is people are scared. It has absolutely nothing to do with the stock market or the economy. They're scared about all the political mumbo-jumbo that goes on in the market, all this political divide that, that we have going on in the country right now 
rightly. I mean, there's there's a lot of problems there. They're going to have to be sorted out, but that's not going to affect the stock market. So don't conflate political events with stock market, right? So it's important to keep a little bit of focus about what's what's mattering. You know that, and I know Danny, you're getting a lot of emails too. Yeah, I would say people are more concerned than I think scared. I mean, there's a there may be a little bit of that, but I think for the most part. It's understanding what you have, where we are, looking at your financial plan, understanding what is your hurdle rate? What is your minimum required rate of return that you need to continue to meet your goals and objectives? And so, like you mentioned, a lot of politics right now. I think that's only going to heighten as we continue through this economic or political cycle into the election year here in 2024. And that's not going away. And unfortunately, I think people make rash decisions based on politics. And unfortunately, that ends up hurting them over, over the long term because they may say, hey, I don't like this administration. I'm getting completely out. Granted, we've seen what different administrations can do. We've seen some very unfriendly to business administrations in the past. And yet the markets have gone up based on where we were in an economic cycle. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that you know we have to, to compartmentalize and move aside and say, okay, while this may impact certain sectors or areas, the broad market may just run because it's going to run and because the economy is making, you know, it is what it is for the time being. And a lot of times it takes a long time just for new policies to take effect. Just like we're watching right now with interest rates, higher interest rates take a long time to move through the economy and work through the system. The same thing happens when we comes down to that. But I do think that's a lot of headline news. I think that you know, at the end of the day, understanding what you and your family need. And you made a comment about just a moment ago, there's only a couple of funds that actually beat the market, but yet that yeah. seems to be everybody's goal. Their goal should be is understanding what their plan looks like, what their overall goals and objectives are, and then making sure that you can meet the rate of return that you need to reach all those. And granted, a lot of times like we will set, and hopefully a hurdle rate for, for our clients is extremely low, but... And we think we're going to get much better returns longer term, which we still do. But I think it's good to understand that in these markets or when we have times that markets peel off or they're flat or sideways for an extended period of time, that you can still meet your goals and objectives. That, I think, is the key. And that Mm -hmm. is often when we talk about the headline news is what's overlooked. Well, and again, this is this is, you know, again, it's psychology. Yeah, right. And 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 this is the hard part because again, there's so many. There, you know, right now in particular, you you know, I don't even hardly watch the news at all anymore because it's just all depressing all the time, right? You never, there's never, you know, kind of good news that's out there. At least, at least, yeah, right. Because fear sells. What happened to uh, who's the guy from the office? He had a good news. He had program that somebody bought. Yeah, and it's gone now. Yeah. Because yeah. people were watching the good stuff and they couldn't sell any ads. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he had the whole program called, it's just called Good News. And every day he just reported good news. And it had like a million followers or whatever. He sold it for like a billion bucks. Uh, John Krasinski. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, good for him. And yeah, he, he made money off of it and then they've, they've shut it down now, I guess. So it's gone. Good News no longer sells. <laughs> Get but, that uh, stuff the, out of here. Yeah. But the point is, is that, you know, the, the fact that whenever you turn on the, 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 the news or the media of any sort, it's just it's just bad news after bad news after bad news. It's it's easy to get into this kind of mental fear state that then you immediately go, well, I can, you know, this is all bad. I don't want to lose money. So I'm going to take my money out of the market or I'm going to do whatever it is. And it's interesting now because that we're seeing a lot of this 
negativity reflected in a lot of areas of the markets, but also just in the emails that we get from people. It's just kind of, you know, kind of one, you know, you know, bad thesis after another. It's like, oh, well, this is going to happen, which is going to, you know, devastate the markets and it's going to be terrible, like the TGA refunding, right? It's, it, that's not the way things are going to work. And so it's important to kind of set this stuff aside. I, I get a lot of emails. I'm like, stop watching the news. If you want to be a better investor, stop watching the news. And, and this is, you know, kind of my work process during the day is that during the day when I'm working and doing research and, and whatever it is that and writing reports and the things that we, that we publish on our website, you know, we're not watching the news. That's turned off because it's, it, it's a distraction from the data. Focus on the data. Focus on what that's telling you. And then make your decisions based on that rather than what you just hear on television. I know that it's easier to listen to stuff on television, but but like Danny said, fear sells. And that's not always a great way to manage a portfolio because emotions make the worst decisions over time. Okay, quick break. We'll come back. Want the best return opportunity in the last 14 years? We'll talk about that after the break. Don't go away. investmentadvice.com Alright, welcome back to the show. I'm getting ready to wrap things up here. So just look, there, there's nothing and just to you know, put a fine point on this and then we'll talk about one of the best return opportunities coming up here. You know, I don't want to. Uh, we're not discounting your fears, right? This is the important part. You know, it's it's okay to be fearful. It's okay to be concerned. There's certainly lots of things to be concerned about. Not discounting that at all. Um, you know, we can make a laundry list of things to be concerned about in the economy, politics, the country today. Period. Uh, division between right and left, et cetera, so forth and so on. All certainly, you know, reasons to be concerned certainly have an impact on things and, and certainly don't want you to think that we're discounting your fears and saying that they're not important because they are. They're your fears. They're your concerns. What we are saying, though, is try to keep them in perspective of how things actually work over time and that markets tend to discount these issues and then do things that you don't expect or understand. You know, last year, Everybody was panicking over everything in the market since October. Markets have been rallying. Now, it's been a very narrow rally, and you would have to own basically 10 stocks in your portfolio to, to, to make that rally. But then people don't want that risk. right? Or the and, index, right? Or the index, right? Yeah. It, or just buy the index. And it sounds easy, but then they go, well, I don't, you know, you know, think about how you feel right now. And if you want the market return, you've got to have 100% of your money in the index, 
How do you feel about that? And you may say, I feel great about it because that's where I'm currently it's going up. Right. Because it's going up. I feel great about it. Um, but how would you feel about that last year? How did you feel about that in October? Right. Were you willing to put 100 percent of your money in the index at the bottom in October? And that's that's the big challenge. Right. It's always those emotional fears that we have. And now everybody can't like, ah, I've got to be in markets are going up. But that's probably exactly the time that you shouldn't be doing exactly that right so again there's just just i don't you know we just don't want you to think that we're discounting your fears because those are important but it's always important to keep them in check relative to what's going on in the markets markets tend to do the opposite of whatever you expect them to do more often than not anyway well, and unfortunately it's so counterintuitive to do what we actually should do which is you know it's the easiest thing that's thrown out there in the financial industry yep buy low sell high but you people want to get human nature we want to get in things when things are going really well we want to get out when things are bad. So it's the exact opposite of what we should be doing all along the way. Yeah. You know, like taking profits, reducing exposure. Um, you know, so it's tough. I get it. Just, uh, you know, we, we talk about sometimes we need degrees in psychology more than, <laughs> than finance. But yep. how many people have you met with who say, Lance, I've never made money in the market. And then you find out exactly why, because they want to get in at the top and they want to get out when it's bad. Like, hey, man, this is... We've been through probably some of the worst stuff. Yep. Just hang tight, you know, yep. or reduce exposure so substantially that they're just not going to get any type of return. And, and there's an argument for that, though. I mean, you can find CDs mm -hmm. at decent rates right now. You can sure. find corporate bonds, um, agency bonds, but you face that reinvestment risk. Where do you go from there? Yeah, exactly. Um, but let's talk about an opportunity that exists. And it's interesting because this is something we've talked about for a while. And we've written several articles on it. And, you know, it's... It's been one of those things where people are still concerned right now that, you know, interest rates are going to go up and, you know, this is this is going to be, you know, terrible for the economy and obviously bad for the bond market. But as we talked about before, you know, if you're expecting a recession, if you expect an economic slowdown or if you just expect a return to normality, yields will have to fall. And that means that bonds right now, and we've talked about this before, are a very underpriced asset relative to the overall market. And in fact, there was a, you know, kind of an interesting article out on Think Advisor, um, a recent interview with Bill Gross, who was the manager for PIMCO for years. And, and a, you know, he's considered one of the bond gurus in kind of in the entire market, him, Jeff Gunlack, et cetera. Those are the people everybody listens to. And, you know, he's talking about right now is like bonds provide one of the best opportunities for investing in the last 14 years. Now, the problem is if you buy a bond today, you know, it's not going to do a whole lot for you because economic growth is still pretty strong right now. And that's going to keep interest rates elevated. But this is one of those things where you have to make an investment early and be patient enough to allow it to work for you over time. And this is something we've talked about repeatedly is that, you know, the mistake that people make, and I get emails every day, is like, well, should I buy bonds today? And it's like, yeah, that's fine. Buy them today. But then tomorrow the email was like, well, interest rates went up a little bit yesterday. Should I sell them? And it's like, no, that's not how they work. You know, you buy them with an expectation to hold them to maturity because this is a, a structure that will take time because it's a function of economic growth, inflation, and a return to normality will require yields to fall because of lower rates of economic growth and lower rates of inflation. It's just a function of how it works. But again, we have this short-termism in the markets. So I need to make money today. 
versus buying an asset that's cheap, understanding you're going to make a lot of money over it, uh, like make a lot of money in or in it over time. Danny. Yeah, I think that's the that's the problem that most people are looking saying, hey, I want to time this exactly right. And it's very difficult to catch that falling knife because usually what will happen is like we've seen already when rates have dropped or even spiked, they usually do so quickly. It's not this you know, very gradual. And what's the old saying? It's uh, you take the uh, the elevator up and the escalator down. Yeah, right. And, and I think that's what's likely going to happen here once again, as we've seen here recently. We've seen 30, 40 basis point drops pretty quickly. And so... Now we've seen rates start to creep back up, which I think we're a lot more comfortable looking to adding more bond exposure, especially longer duration. But people are, in general, I think as well, the problem is that I keep hearing like, well, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait a little bit. I'm going to wait till it gets a little bit higher, a little bit mm-hmm. higher. Well, we don't know that it's going to go that much higher. Um, so I think this is an excellent opportunity to start adding in that exposure. You know, long-dated bonds, duration, I think that's probably going to be a great opportunity longer term. Uh, but you're going to have to be comfortable riding that out for a bit you're going to get a little bit better yield not better than what you get in short term but you're going to get it's going to have to be much more sensitive to interest rate changes and that's going to give you some flexibility with that i mean we looked at agency bonds yesterday lance at over five percent for like Mm -hmm. 10 years problem is most of them are callable in a year or two right and so most people will likely get called away so that's where you face the reinvestment risk you have to understand you know is your bond callable or not you know we've had a lot of conversations with people even with uh, in general, just about, hey, I bought this. What does this look like? And say, well, you're likely only going to be in it for two years versus the eight you thought you would be. Right. Oh, I didn't realize that. And so just getting the understanding of the mechanisms of the bond, I think, are really important. Um, but there's a ton of opportunity. And if you don't want to go through the, um, you know, the, the, the research and getting the knowledge and understanding of buying the individual bonds, you can always go buy an ETF. Um, you can buy a bond fund. We typically stay away from funds just because of the additional cost, but certainly, you know, I think we like we like both. Yeah, well, again, it's like for instance, we're buying some preferred stocks right now too that are selling at a discount, and you know, we have a portfolio that is you know for for much higher net worth individuals and uses a lot of specialized structures, etc. Um, but in that, we're looking to buy some discounted preferreds. So the problem is, is they're callable. Um, and so they may get called in a month or three months or six months. So, you, you know, it's important to, to look at whatever it is you're buying and understand what all, you know, kind of what all the different dynamics are. And, and again, this is one of the mistakes that people make is, you know, they'll buy a bond. They'll say, OK, this bond has a six percent coupon on it. And we saw a lot of this when interest rates were a lot lower. Um, people buy it's like, oh, I bought this bond at six percent. Well, they paid one hundred and ten. They paid a 10 percent premium on the bond. And so their effective yield on that bond to maturity was one quarter of 1%, but they didn't understand the difference between yield to maturity and what the coupon was. They were just buying coupons. So it's important to understand what it is that you're actually buying and what the effect on the eventual outcome is, is going to be. And, and again, like to Danny's point is, is there's so many moving parts to you know fixed income in general, but also in the equity market, it's the same thing, right? What drives equities higher or lower over time? Valuations and earnings estimates. That's that's what moves markets. So, you know, you, you have to understand all these dynamics and understand, again, you know, what is it that you're trying to achieve? And the problem that we have as investors is that we get wrapped up into the short, we get wrapped up into the FOMO, right? You know, we, we see what's happening on television every day and it's like, oh, I, I got to get into this now. Um, 
good examples NVIDIA right now, and I've written a couple of articles about what's going on with NVIDIA. NVIDIA trades at 40 times price to sells. We've seen this before, right? Back in 1999, 2000, NVIDIA, uh, sorry, uh, uh, NVIDIA wasn't around. Um, Microsoft, Google, uh, Microsoft and Intel and Google um, were all trading at similar, similar valuations. They had earnings growth expectations of 30% or more. Same as that we have today with, with NVIDIA. Well, the problem was over the next three years, those earnings expectations never matured. And we talked a little bit about this yesterday is that the, the AI business right now is in adoption. So everybody's talking about it's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to launch an AI project right now. So I've got to go buy a GPU for a quarter million bucks. This is great. The problem is, is those are going to get bought and, and the basis of AI is going to be built. And so that demand for further products is going to slow down. Earnings are going to fall. And this is what we saw happen back in 1999-2000 with those stocks. You'll see the same thing happen eventually as AI reaches a level of maturity. And that could happen very quickly over the course of a couple of years. We kind of reach this AI maturity and things are going to slow down. So, you know, be careful of the hype. Be careful of, of you know, kind of the headline media of what you get into. Focus on what matters long term for your investments and you always wind up to be a lot better. Danny, last word? No, I was just tuning you out. Okay, good. There you go. No, I kid, I kid. That works. YouTube YouTube said, Danny, how do you write and and talk at the same time? I said, Well, I just tune Lance out. It's pretty easy. Go. All right. So, all right, that wraps up the show for today. Uh, be back tomorrow. Uh, Michael Leibowitz will join me. We'll talk about the Fed meeting next week, what to expect. Um, is Jerome Powell going to hike rates or not? Is it a pause? We'll get into all that tomorrow with you right here on The Real Investment Show. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow.